Well, it's been said that uh, there were three wise men at the first Christmas, and technically that's incorrect. Actually, there's probably more than three wise men or magi at the first Christmas. And secondly, they actually weren't at the first Christmas. They were probably about nine months late or so. So it has been said that if the three wise men or magi were actually three wise women, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought disposable diapers as gifts. I don't know, maybe that's true, maybe it's not true. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Revelation, and I have entitled the message this morning, The Cosmic Christmas, The Cosmic Christmas. Father, I thank you for everyone here. Thank you for this season. It gives us such a wonderful opportunity for ourselves, first and foremost, to focus on what really matters, the eternal. The eternal God broke into finite space and time and changed history forever. This also gives us a time to share the greatest news ever, the news of Jesus Christ. The news that there's more to life than just this life. The news that there is forgiveness and cleansing of sin. The news that there's purpose to life, reason for being. And most of all, that we can have a relationship with the living God. And I pray that we would take time and really look for opportunities to share the best news of all. As we look at your word this morning, I ask, of course, Lord, that you would fill me afresh. And that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. I truly pray this message this morning will be from you. And it will be life-changing. So I just thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for what you've done. I praise you for the worship team. Thank you so much for them. And now I just ask that you would have your way as we look at your work these next several minutes. And I just ask for this in your precious name. Skip, can you play the video? Stars on her head. 
She was pregnant, and she cried out as in pain, and she was about to give birth. Of course, we want to know who that woman was. And that woman was none other than the nation of Israel. And we know this, by the way, from Genesis in chapter 37, where Joseph had a dream. And the sun and the moon represent the great patriarchs of Israel, Abraham and Isaac. The 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So what we learn from these verses is that the Jews, Israel, gave us the Messiah. Now the obvious question, what most people want to know is, what was this mega sign, what was this mega signal in the heaven that told us about this incredible birth? And the answer is, you know it, the Star of Bethlehem. Skip, can you put it up? There you see the Star of Bethlehem. So we see actually in the book of Revelation, people are surprised to learn that the Christmas story is actually in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, but we're just going to see it from a different perspective. But what I first want us to know is that at Jesus Christ's first coming, God gives a cosmic announcement to the world, letting the entire world know that something grand, something great is occurring. I want you to hear over and over again that God is into signs, he's into signals, letting us know what is occurring. In fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 2, we have the Christmas story. And in verse 1, starting, we're told this, after Jesus was born... In Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, as one preacher said, the great miracle is of the Magi, the wise men, is you had a bunch of men, and they actually stopped and asked for directions. The truth, though, the miracle of the Magi the miracle of the wise men is that they were a bunch of Gentiles, and these Gentiles lived about a thousand miles from the city of Jerusalem. Probably they lived in Babylon at the time. And one night they are scanning the sky and they are studying the stars and they see something unusual. They see a star that they have never seen before and it captures their attention. And I actually believe that these wise men, these magi from Persia, they had been looking for this star. And you say, why? Because some 550 years previous to that, they were introduced to one of the wisest men to ever live, these Persian wise men. His name, Daniel. And I have no doubt that Daniel taught these wise men these magi of Persia, the Old Testament. And there is no doubt in my mind that there was one prophecy in particular that absolutely captured your attention, and that is found in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I beheld him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will arise out of Israel. You see, these magi... These magi, these wise men from Persia knew, because of Daniel in the Old Testament, that one day the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come to planet Earth, and he would be born in Israel, the land of Jacob. And so you see these wise men, no one knows the number, but we know that it had to be a large entourage, because we know from the Christmas story that all of Jerusalem was upset. My guess is there were somewhere between 120 and 150 in their entourage. And we see that these wise men, these magi from Persia, they pack up all of their things, 
We are told in the Bible they travel over a thousand miles over what we call the Fertile Crescent, and about nine months later they arrive in the backwater town of Bethlehem. Skip, can you put up the picture? Now, you know what absolutely astounds me? What astounds me is that these magi, these wise men, they do all that I just said on one Bible prophecy and on one astronomical sign in the heavens. It absolutely amazes me. And what even more astounds me is that you have King Herod, you have the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they not only were aware of the star, but they had the entire Old Testament. They knew all of the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And yet, get this, they remain on the religious rear ends and they continue to play in their religious rituals. And that really scares me. In fact, that really terrifies me for myself. I find it amazing that there were only two groups of people that saw the baby Jesus. The first group were the lowly shepherds, and the Jews considered them the scum of the earth. The second group to see the baby Jesus were the Magi, the wise men. They were Gentiles. They were dogs, according to the Jews. And both of these groups arrived, and they saw the baby Jesus because of the Bible and because they responded to the astronomical or heavenly signs that they saw. Absolutely amazes me. And you know, the sad reality is, I have noticed that most people really do miss what God is doing. Most of us miss what God is doing because we are so absorbed in our own puny little world, building our own puny little names, building our own puny little life, that we saw last week is going to all come to an end anyhow. And we fail to look up, and we fail to look out and see what the God of the universe is doing. You know, I've been warning now for over a year and a half, and I told you, God does give signals. When God is about to move, he always lets you know that he's going to move. He gives signs, signals, scripture to let you know that he's moving, and he's been giving signs, and I've told you over the last year and a half, many signs, many harbingers, that great judgment is coming to the nation, this nation, America. He has also been giving signs to the nation of Israel that something major is about to happen there. And what the wise men teach me, as I was reading the story of the wise men, what the wise men teach me is that wise people still seek to understand and see what God is doing. Because let me tell you, nothing else matters. The most important thing is that you and you and you and you and me, we see and we understand what God is doing. Because then you can make wise decisions for your life like the wise men did. And you don't miss what God is doing. Well, in Revelation chapter 12 and verses 3 and 4, we see that there is a second sign. So look with me. Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 3. It says, then another sign. Another in the Greek is owl. So another sign, just like the one, the mega sign that we previously talked about, appeared in heaven. So what we're being told now is that just as there was the first great sign announcing Jesus' first coming to planet Earth, there is now future, it hasn't happened yet, there's going to be another great mega astronomical sign. And you're probably wondering, what is that sign going to be? None of us knows for certain. I have a guess. I can conjecture. I don't think this is the place for it. 
But let me tell you that this sign that you're going to see in the heavens, this mega signal, one thing I know for certain contextually is that it is going to be a warning to Israel. You say, how can you know that? Look with me at what follows in this verse. It says, then another mega sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon, that's Satan, with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Do you know what that represents? That represents the rise of the Antichrist and his future kingdom, the revived Roman Empire. So, Israel is going to be given a warning, a mega sign in the heavens, that the Antichrist and his empire is going to rise. And they are going to be given a warning in the heavens. That is what we are being told here. And then it says in verse 4, his tail that Satan swept a third of the stars uh, out of the sky and flung them to the earth. That speaks of Satan's first rebellion. And he was able to convince, and it always amazing, he was able to convince one third of the angels in heaven to rebel with him. And then we're told the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. You know... Think at that video, and I wanted you to see that video, and it's, it's an incredible contrast. And you see this baby being born, and it is a silent night. It's a holy night, right? But what we just read in Revelation chapter 12 is that Satan was there. Satan was there at the first Christmas. And the reality is, that most of the people in the world really don't understand reality because we can only see with our physical eyes. We can't see with God. We can't see in the spiritual world. We only see things with our physical eyes. And that's why we make so many mistakes in our decision making. You know, in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, there's an incredible story about Elisha the prophet. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings in chapter 6. And I just want to read it for you. Great story. It goes like this. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with the soldier, he said, I will set my camp up in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Aramanians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place, indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of the officers. But Elisha the prophet, who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel, The very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by the night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord. Open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Helen Keller. Skip, can you put up a picture? Helen Keller is actually an amazing story. She was born deaf. 
and she was born blind. I mean, this woman was literally cut off from the world the moment she was born. In fact, if you know her story, she, early in her childhood, was a very, very angry child. She went through nanny after nanny. And finally, you know what God did? He sent her a woman by the name of Annie Sullivan, a Christian. You know what Annie did? Annie had such incredible patience with Helen Keller. And she taught Helen Keller the light of Jesus' love. And she was able to break into that dark, silent world of Helen Keller. Absolutely fabulous story. There you see Helen Keller speaking. And one day, in, in, a, in a speech she was giving, she said this, and I find it interesting. She said, I have walked with people, now listen to this, whose eyes are full of light, but who yet see nothing. The world says, see is believing. Jesus says, believing is seeing. Elijah's servant, the only thing he could see is all he could see is the chariot. He could only see the Syrian army, and he lived in fear. Did you hear what I said? All he could see is with his physical eye, he sees the Syrian army, and he lives in fear. And that's where most of us live, tragically. Fear will always rob you of your life. Elijah, Elisha, on the other hand, he sees the chariots of fire. He sees the chariots of fire, and he is living in peace and contentment. What an incredible contrast. Now, do you know what the chariots of fire represent biblically? In Psalm chapter 68 and verse 17, we're told, the chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. Do you know what that means? God has a lot of power. God has unlimited power, and he has enough power for you, and you, and you, and you, and he has enough power for me. And the question is, do you see the chariot to fire when your name is being slammed? Do you see the chariot to fire when you find yourself in a very fearful situation? Do you see the chariot to fire when the chips are down? I want you to know this morning that the chariots of fire are there yes, for the believer. John G. Patton. Skip, can you put up this picture? Most of you are probably not familiar with John G. Patton. Incredible story. But Patton and his wife were missionaries to the New Hebrides Island in the South Pacific. And one night, hostile natives surrounded their mission's headquarters. Their goal? To set fire to the building, force the Pattons out, and they were going to kill them. Billy Graham, in his book, The Angels, he tells the rest of the story. Billy Graham says that the Pattons got down on their knees. And they began to cry out to God, Oh God, deliver us from these hostile natives. And they prayed all night. And when dawn finally broke, they looked out their window, and to their amazement, all of the hostile natives were gone. Miraculously, one year later, Patton had the privilege of leading the chief of that hostile tribe to the, to the Lord. That chief literally surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Patton remembered that terror-filled night, and he asked him, why in the world did you not set fire to our you know, mission's headquarters and kill us? And the chief looked at him a little surprised, and he said, well, who were all those men with you? Amen. Now, Pat was a, you know, a, a little dumbfounded. He said, there were no men with us at all. It was just my wife and I. And then the chief became rather animated. And he said, we saw hundreds of men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. And it suddenly dawned on Pat that God had sent angels 
chariots of fire to protect them. Revelation chapter 12 teaches us there is an unseen world. I want you to know, Revelation chapter 12 says there's an entire reality that most of us are not familiar with. And I want you to know that this unseen world literally drives and impacts, it, it impacts and determines not only the destiny of our lives, but the destiny of this world. I want you to see the unseen realm is more real in many ways than this realm. And in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4, it says that Satan, now think about this, Satan the dragon, Mary's, she represents Israel, and she's giving birth to Jesus, and it says that Satan was right there, ready to devour the baby Jesus. You almost get the idea, you know, as, as, as babies come, as Jesus is coming out of the birth canal, you got Satan's mouth and it's wide open, he's about ready to swallow Jesus whole. But you see, that's not... That is not how God's universe works. Listen to me now. The way the spiritual realm impacts and drives this realm is through people. The way the spiritual realm drives and impacts this realm is through people. Let me prove this to you. Do you realize that in the Garden of Eden, Satan was there? In the Garden of Eden, Satan was there, and he was able to convince Eve to rebel against God and his plan for her life and, the, and humanity's. Do you realize that Satan was in the court of the Pharaoh of Egypt? Satan was able to convince Pharaoh to murder, to butcher all of the Hebrew babies. In an attempt, because Satan understood the great prophecy in Genesis 3.15, that the Messiah would come through a seed of a woman, and he realized it would be to the seed of a Jewish woman. So he had Pharaoh of Egypt give an edict that all male babies were to be killed. You know, in the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, we are told this in chapter 21 and verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel and incited King David to take a census of Israel. Do you realize that Satan was in the very court of Israel? He was in the very court of King David. And he convinced David to take a census of the military. In other words, what he was really getting David to do, David knew it was dead wrong. He was getting David to find security in the numbers of men that he had rather than in the living God. Absolutely astounding. Do you realize that Satan was there in the Last Supper? On Jesus' final night on planet Earth, Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, One of you is going to betray me. And of course, the disciples said, Is it me, Jesus? Is it me, Jesus? Is it going to be me, Jesus? And then Jesus says these incredible words in John chapter 13, starting at verse 26. It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Now watch this. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Judas did something that no human being has ever done. He literally betrayed God in the flesh for a lousy 30 pieces of silver. <laughs> Now in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4, we're told that if Mary is delivering the baby Jesus, Satan is there to devour him. But how is he going to do it? Well, we know the answer. Satan was in the court of King Herod. 
And he convinced King Herod, who had a tremendous problem with envy and jealousy, and he convinced King Herod to literally butcher all male babies, Jewish babies, two years and younger in the backwater town of Bethlehem, just to protect his throne. Just to protect his throne. Now, if you understand what I've been talking about, you're going to understand now why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 this. Makes perfect sense. Watch this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, can we get practical for a moment? It's Christmas Day at your house. Christmas celebration is going to be at your place. Fam friends, family are all there. Can you see them? 20, 25 people there. It's supposed to be a time of tremendous joy and celebration. Why is it things so often go south? No, I mean, you know, you got Uncle Buzzy there, and Uncle Buzzy begins to drink a little too much, right? And before you know, he's telling off color jokes, you know, and, and people get offended. And then you got Aunt Susie, she has no filter. No relation to my wife at all, right? But no filter. <laughs> and before, you know, Aunt Susie suddenly said, you know, you've been gaining a lot of weight to someone. You look like a beached whale. You know, that could be a little offensive. And pretty soon, no, no people are at each other's throats, right? And see, what people don't understand, no, I want you to get this. What people don't understand is Satan is there. Satan is going to be with you on Christmas morning. Count on it. You can bank on it. And Satan is going to work through people. And his whole goal, by the way, is it can create division and strife and ultimately rebellion against God. If Satan was there at the first Christmas waiting to devour Jesus, don't kid yourself. He's going to be there at your Christmas. So here's the challenge. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, it's kind of interesting. Interesting portion of Scripture. The disciples have come back from a tour of ministry. Very successful, by the way. They were able to go through all the land of Israel, and they were telling them, repent for the kingdom of God in its hand. They could say that because King Jesus was there. And they did mighty miracles and mighty things. And they were really ecstatic. And Jesus pulls them aside for a moment. Kind of a debriefing. And he says to the disciples, who do the people of Israel say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're this and some say you're that. And then Jesus said this. Now, who do you say that I am? And Peter, just like that, said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, ding, 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 you win the grand prize. That's in the Greek custom. <laughs> and do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But the Father in heaven revealed this to you. The Father, he heard the voice of the living God. I mean, that's incredible. That's very life itself. And then Jesus says to his disciples, and I want you to know, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be ultimately crucified. Now, five minutes haven't passed. And Peter blurts out, never, Lord, it will never happen to you. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, 23, Satan, get behind me. 
Can you believe it? The Apostle Peter, the great Apostle Peter, five minutes, one moment, he's, he's, he's the very mouthpiece of the living God, and he's delivering life. Five minutes later, he becomes the mouthpiece of Satan delivering death. Now, if it can happen to the Apostle Peter, then it can happen to you. No, I'm going to ask you right now. Do you realize you can either be an instrument of God or you can be an instrument of Satan? There is no middle ground. I don't care what anybody says. They're wrong. You're either an instrument of God and you're delivering life and words of life, or you're an instrument of Satan and you are delivering death and division and strife. And that's why so many marriages are in trouble. And that's why relationships are so poor, because we don't even realize so much of the time the things that we say, the, 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 the very thoughts that we have, come from Satan himself, and boom, we just blurt him out. And there's all kinds of rockets. All kinds of rockets. My challenge this morning to you is this. Think about your relationships. Are they good? Or are they generally not so good? My guess is that they're generally not so good. More often than not, you're being a tool of Satan, upon Satan, rather than upon the living God. And now you understand, and I end with this verse. Ephesians 5, 18. There's no more critical verse for your life right now in my life. And this. Says this, Paul says, do not, do not be drunk with wine. Why? Because when you are drunk with wine, the alcohol controls you and you are stupid. Amen. You are. I am, right? I, I did it many, many times in my younger days. And I was stupid. So he says, instead, you be filled, you be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Because then you will speak to one another in psalms, in hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing, make music in your heart to the Lord. Isn't that something? You have joy in your heart, always giving thanks to God the Father. That's how you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you're speaking words from the Word of God. That's what the Psalms are. It's the Bible. When you begin to speak words from the Bible, you begin to speak life into your relationships. And things change. It's as simple as that. You can have a great Christmas, by the way, if you've got everybody controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be a great Christmas. Can you imagine Christmas morning and everybody, including your kids, is being controlled by the Holy Spirit? That'd be an awesome Christmas, wouldn't it? The reason why it goes south, though, is it just takes one. It just takes one being controlled by Satan. Bam! That's pretty bad. My challenge to you as you start out, you be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You be the example. I be the example. And it can be an incredible Christmas. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the unveiling we have in Revelation chapter. I pray that we see the first Christmas in a different light. There is God and there is sin. And we are being used by one or the other. My prayer as we sing this last song is we are going to make a decision, each one of us, to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Oh Lord, circumcise my flesh. Cut away in the morning, the first day. Cut away anything that doesn't look like you. Cut the darkness out of my life. And the Holy Spirit, fill me right now at this moment. From the soles of my feet to the crown of my head.
that I might move in love and joy, in peace and patience, in kindness and goodness, in gentleness and faithfulness.